Part 7 of Ingersoll on Walt Whitman from the works of Robert G. Ingersoll. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tommy Hersant, Carlsbad, California. Ingersoll on Walt Whitman, Part 7, The Artist. The poet is also a painter, a sculptor. He, too, deals in form and color. The great poet is of necessity a great artist. With a few words he creates pictures, filling his canvas with living men and women, with those who feel and speak. Have you ever read the account of the stage driver's funeral? Let me read it. Cold dash of waves at the ferry wharf, posh and ice in the river, half-frozen mud in the streets, a gray discouraged sky overhead the short last daylight of december a hearse and stages the funeral of an old broadway stage driver the cortege mostly drivers steady the trot to the cemetery duly rattles the death bell the gate is passed the new dug grave is halted at the living alight the hearse uncloses the coffin is passed out, lowered and settled. The whip is laid on the coffin. The earth is swiftly shoveled in. The mound above is flatted with spades. Silence. A minute. No one moves or speaks. It is done. He is decently put away. Is there anything more? He was a good fellow free-mouthed, quick-tempered, not bad-looking, ready for life or death for a friend, fond of women, gambled, ate hearty, drank hearty, had known what it was to be flush, grew low-spirited toward the last, sickened, was helped by a contribution, died, aged forty-one years. And that was his funeral. Let me read you another description one of a woman. Behold a woman. She looks out from her Quaker cap. Her face is clearer and more beautiful than the sky. She sits in an armchair under the shaded porch of the farmhouse. The sun just shines on her old white head. Her ample gown is of cream-hued linen. Her grandsons raised the flax, and her granddaughters spun it with a distaff and the wheel. THE MELODIOUS CHARACTER OF THE EARTH, THE FINISH BEYOND WHICH PHILOSOPHY CANNOT GO, AND DOES NOT WISH TO GO, THE JUSTIFIED MOTHER OF MEN. WOULD YOU HEAR OF AN OLD-TIME SEA-FIGHT? WOULD YOU LEARN WHO WON BY THE LIGHT OF THE MOON AND STARS? LIST TO THE YARN, AS MY GRANDMOTHER'S FATHER, THE SAILOR, TOLD IT TO ME. "'Our foe was no skulk in his ship, I tell you,' said he. "'His was the surly English pluck, "'and there is no tougher or truer, "'and never was, and never will be.' "'Along the lowered eve he came horribly raking us. "'We closed with him, the yards entangled, the cannon touched. "'My captain lashed fast with his own hands. "'We had received some eighteen-pound shots under the water.' 
On our lower gun deck two large pieces had burst at the first fire, killing all around and blowing up overhead. Fighting at sundown, fighting at dark, ten o'clock at night, the full moon, well up, our leaks on the gain, and five feet of water reported, the master-at-arms, loosing the prisoners confined in the afterhold to give them a chance for themselves. The transit to and from the magazine is now stopped by the sentinels. They see so many strange faces they do not know whom to trust. Our frigate takes fire. The other asks if we demand quarter, if our colors are struck and the fighting done. Now I laugh content, for I hear the voice of my little captain. We have not struck, he composedly cries. We have just begun our part of the fighting. Only three guns are in use. One is directed by the captain himself against the enemy's main mast. Two, well served with grape and canister, silence his musketry and clear his decks. The tops alone second the fire of this little battery, especially the main top. They hold out bravely during the whole of the action. Not a moment's cease. The leaks gain fast on the pumps. The fire eats toward the powder magazines. One of the pumps has been shot away. It is generally thought we are sinking. Serene stands the little captain. He is not hurried. His voice is neither high nor low. His eyes give more light to us than our battle lanterns. Toward twelve there is the beams of the moon the surrender to us. Stretched and still lies the midnight. Two great hulls, motionless on the breast of the darkness. Our vessel riddled and slowly sinking. Preparations to pass to the one we have conquered. The captain on the quarter-deck, coldly giving his orders through a countenance white as a sheet. Nearby, the corpse of the child that served in the cabin, the dead face of an old salt with long white hair and carefully curled whiskers, the flames, spite of all that can be done, flickering aloft and below, the husky voices of the two or three officers yet fit for duty, formless stacks of bodies and bodies by themselves, dabs of flesh upon the masts and spars, cut of cordage, dangle of rigging, slight shock of the soothe of waves, black and impassive guns, litter of powder parcels, strong scent, a few large stars overhead, silent and mournful shining, delicate sniffs of sea-breeze, smells of sedgy grass and fields by the shore, death messages given in charge to survivors, the hiss of the surgeon's knife, the gnawing teeth of his saw, whiz, cluck, swash of falling blood, short, wild scream, and long, dull, tapering groan.
Some people say that this is not poetry, that it lacks measure and rhyme. End of Part 7 The Artist